that is they got going on there. Yeah. Anyway, so good morning. I'm Pastor Seth. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. Pastor Terry will be back with us next week. Um, but it gives me the opportunity to come and share with you guys. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do that. Uh, before we get started, I want to do a couple of things. Number one, Aaron was talking about Vacation Bible School, and every year we want to make that free to kids in the community. It's not heard of very often that, that Vacation Bible School is a free thing in a community, and we want to make sure that every kid has the opportunity to come, right? And so one of the first opportunities that we have as a church to give of our time, our treasures, and our talents is really to give of our treasures. And we've got a pie auction coming up on Father's Day, and this is an opportunity that we're going to raise a big chunk of money. So if, if you are, uh, we would love for you to come, bring your wallet, bring your neighbor's wallet, bring your wife's purse, and you guys come, and, and we're going to buy some pies, buy some cakes, and they're going to be awesome. So, and that's going to go towards helping kids in our community come and hear about Jesus. And it's going to be life impacting because you get to eat pie, right? Can't beat that. All right. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and Lord, we just praise you. And Lord, thank you for our, our time this morning. Lord, we exalt you. We ask, Lord, today as we begin to get into your word that you would do something in our souls, Lord Jesus, that would raise our viewpoint. Lord, that today you would begin to give us the heavenly perspective on the work that you're performing in areas in our lives that we can't see concerning change we may be experiencing now or things that we don't even know, even know are coming. Lord, raise our level to the view you have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about, again, uh, a series called Navigating Change, and we're on lesson three. And uh, for those of you who are interested in following along, up here on the screen in just a minute are going to be a few points that we've gone over over the last couple of lessons. Feel free to look over it while I'm, while I'm talking to you. And uh, if you're interested in, in catching the first couple of lessons, you'll find those on our website, crossroads.life. You can go into the heading of teaching. Our first message was sometime around January. The second one, I think, was around March. You'll find those. You can review them. And then you can find this one probably posted in the middle of the week coming up. So um, anyway, we're talking about the series, or talking about the subject, Navigating Change. And as a case study, we've been going through um, the Israelites coming into God's promised land for them. But every single one of us, at some point or another, are going to experience change. And there may be somebody sitting here today who, through absolutely no fault of their own, came into a situation that has completely devastated their world. It's change. There may be somebody here who, who, who uh, in January decided, hey, you know what? New Year's resolution. I'm going to change something. And you started into it full speed ahead. And you know what? Here we, here we are uh, five months into it. And you know what? You're successful. You're still doing it. Way to go. Change. Right? There are so many different experiences we have in our lives that bring change and contribute to change in our lives. And I believe that the Lord has steps for each and every one of us so that we can navigate those things, whether they're, whether they're enjoyable change or whether or not they're, they're life-changing, life-altering, Lord, I don't know what to do right now kind of change. And I want to tell you, either way, the Lord wants to walk through those things with you. Amen? Amen. All right. All right, so like I said, we've been doing a case study on, on the Israelites going into the promised land. It was a journey that should have taken about 13 months, and it took them a little over 40 years. And 
this is a journey where they're going to go possess the promised land, and we can relate to that because we want God's promises in our own lives, don't we? We want to believe that God's character is the same yesterday, today, and forever because it's true. The Word of God declares it, and there are so many testimonies over thousands of generations that declare God's Word is true and God's character is consistent, right? So we know God has promises for us. We can hold on to that. The heavenly perspective is that God wants to develop our character. Your promise is not a destination, it's a different you. Your promise is not a destination. It's a better you. It's a spirit-filled you. It's an empowered you. The completed you isn't a journey. It's one that God's going to be faithful to complete in you so that when you look back on the other side of a change that occurs in your life, you'll be able to say, no matter where you're at, man, God is faithful and I can go through this. You won't be bitter. You won't be broken. You'll be walking in hope, and you'll be walking in faith. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah. So the things that we discussed uh, previously in, in our past two lessons were things that prolonged the Israelites' journey into the promised land. They're things that, that made... Uh, made the journey longer. Today we're going to be talking about something different. We're going to be talking about some things that kept them from entering God's promise altogether for the majority of the Israelites. In fact, it says that all the, they weren't able to enter until all the abled fighting men and those who knew good from evil died off. And that's serious, right? They weren't in, able to enter into God's promised land. Abled Fighting men was probably around the age of 17 or 18. And we know according to Jewish tradition, the age in which a young person would know good in, the difference between good and evil was somewhere around 12 or 13 years old. So anybody over the age of probably around 12 or 13 had to die off, except for those previous generations, younger, and two people. Joshua and Caleb, and we're going to find out a little bit more about them as we move on. But we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 13 at Paran. It's across the river from the promised land, and Moses is sending out spies to find out what they're up against. And we're going to discover giants today. All right, so if you have your Bible and want to follow along, uh, we're going to pick up in the first verse of Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to be skipping around a lot. We have a lot of section to cover, and so I'm going to jump around, and so hold on to your seats. All right, here we go. Numbers 13, verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So he says to, him, says to Moses, Send the macho guys. Send the strong ones. Send the leaders. Send the influencers. The reason is because when they come back, they're going to influence their tribe to instill faith and to build faith and courage to go and take this land. Verse 3 says, So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Moving down to verse 17. And then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, Go up this way into the south, and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether it's good or bad, 
ugly, smelly, awesome, good fruit, bad fruit, right? He gave them a bunch of criteria. Find out all these things, what it's like. But then he gives them an instruction. He says, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe ripe grapes. That was about the middle of June. Verse 21. So they went up and they spied out the land in the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. Now, verse 22, catch this part. It says, and they went up through the south and came to Hebron. So they're going up into the mountains from the south, right? And they come to Hebron. Ahaman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. So they go up into the mountains, through the fog, and they come to this town called Hebron. And they see something. They see three guys, and it names them right here. Three really big, really intimidating guys, who it says these three guys were the sons of Anak. Anak was the son of Arba. Arba was, tradition said that Arba was the direct descendant of the giants that were before the flood, Nephilim giants, serious guys. And so they were a little terrified. There's like, they're like, what is, this, this, is, this is serious. So it says, now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So for those of you who are Indiana Jones buffs, Zoan is the, is the ancient city of Tanis, right? Indiana Jones, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Tanis is this place, and he, he's making a point that this place is seriously old. This was the original capital of Egypt, a mystical, kind of a spooky place, and he makes the point that Hebron is seven years older than that. So what they're doing, they go to this place, Hebron, and they see there's these three guys that are, that are serious. We don't want to mess with these guys. And we're in this spooky place there's something going on here. So they're kind of freaking themselves out a little bit. And so moving on, verse 23, it says, And then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between the two of them on a pole. So this is a great big cluster of grapes. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They came back and they said, Man, this is a great place. This is an amazing land flowing with milk and honey. This, this place is, is amazing, but we've seen some things that are kind of make us, making us a little nervous. Verse 30, and then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said, let's go up at once and take possession of it. For we're able to overcome it. This is one of the spies, and he comes back full of faith. And he says, listen, let's stop talking. Let's go do it right now. And then something happens in verse 31. But the men who had gone with him said, we're not able to go up against these people. They're stronger than we. Verse 32, and check this out. It says, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people there whom we saw are men of great stature. There we saw giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. Man, they received a bad report. 
the intention of these guys going, these leaders going, was to come back and to instill faith. And yet when they came back, they brought a bad report and they said, hey, you know what? These guys were so big and scary looking, we didn't even see, see things correctly. Everybody was giants. They were all giants. And there's no way we can do that. We can't handle that. But the problem is they saw themselves as small. Therefore, they brought back a faithless report, didn't they? Man, a bad report. You ever heard a bad report before? Ever listened to a bad report? I, I had a friend uh, a, a while back, and uh, he, he, was, he, he loved adventure, but he just didn't have the stomach for it, really. But we like going out and, and having fun, doing some exciting things. And, and uh, he went to the fair with his girlfriend. Uh, he was on a date, and they went to, went to the fair. And, of course, me and a couple of buddies were like, hey, man, we're, we're going too. Let's just all go hang out. So, so we go. We're at the fair. And, um, and this, this date he's with, she says, she says hey, Take me on that. The zipper. <laughs> and he says, I, I, I just I don't think I can I don't think I can do that. Like I, I don't I don't do well I don't do well with these things. And she says, No, this one is not that big a deal. She says, I love these kind of rides. I want you to take me on this ride and and uh, it is absolutely a piece of cake. It's not nearly as stomach twisting as it looks. And I'm standing there looking at this thing and I say, Hey man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it probably is. And so he listened to a bad report. He got on the zipper, and that thing starts doing its thing. And me and me and another friend of mine were standing there. We're watching, just thinking, ah, he'd be fine. And all of a sudden, uh, some green stuff goes like a mist out the side. I thought, oh, I wonder what that was. Huh, I don't know, whatever. And uh, the, the ride slows down, stops, comes, comes to a stop, and um, his, uh, his date steps out and runs past. And she was green. She, I mean, she was covered in green. And my friend steps out of this thing, he walks up like this, his head hung down low. And I said, man, what happened? And he says, I puked on her, man. And I was like, oh, man, you shouldn't have listened. He listened to a bad report, right? And it cost him the rest of his evening. They listened to a bad report, and it cost them their faith, and it cost them their future, and it cost them their promise, right? A bad report can do serious damage to our faith. The first point I want to make this morning is when we are going through change, when there's something in our lives that, that is, that, that's a challenge to us, it's important that we surround ourselves with people who will give a good report. It's important that you surround yourself with people who can speak life into your current circumstances, people who will speak prophetically over you. What's, what's, he, what's that mean? 1 Corinthians 14, we've talked about this before. I think Terry brought it up last week, but it says, but one who prophesies strengthens others encourages them and comforts them. That's what prophecy is to us today, and that's where we live, and that's the kind of people we want to surround ourselves with. That's the kind of people you're going to find here. That's why it's so important when you're wrestling through something, go to church, be involved, get with people, make new friends, 
Because the people you surround yourself with in the body of Christ are people who are going to encourage you. They're going to strengthen you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to instill faith in you instead of pull it out. They're going to encourage you, deposit courage into you instead of drawing courage out of you. We want to be around people who are, who are going to encourage us, who are going to strengthen us. Constructive criticism is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> yeah, well, I have the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is not a spiritual gift. The gift of discerning spirits is. The gift of saying, well, I don't think that's going to work. That's not a gift. I learned that because I thought I had it. And I learned that I don't. It's not a gift. I, I, uh, my, my wife, several of my friends, people over over years would come to me and say, hey man, I gotta tell you about my dream. I gotta tell you about this thing that, that God's doing. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, something in, my, something in my spirit says, uh, I don't think it's gonna work. I'm listening to this spiritual gift now. It's just kind of welling up. Uh-uh. <laughs> and you know what it did? It caused their heart to recede. Listen, here's how we know that we have this gift of destructive criticism, constructive criticism. <laughs> when we start sharing something that we think is going to help somebody move along, but yet we discover that, that their heart is trying to withdraw to a safe place, that's a good indicator that, you know what? What I'm sharing isn't encouraging, it's discouraging. And while it's important to surround ourselves with people who will speak the truth to us, we have to surround ourselves with people who will speak the truth in love. Listen, a bad report isn't just something that, that's fluffy and nice and sounds good to our ears. Sometimes a, a, a good report is telling you, you know what? You're heading in a, in a direction that's dangerous. And sometimes when... We want to walk in sin. When we're making decisions that we know are contrary to the word of God, we want to find people who will say, yeah, yeah, you're okay. That's a bad report. Need to hear that. That is a bad report. In fact, the Bible says in, in Matthew, I think it's 18, I'm going to say something to you now. I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can, but I want to encourage you, okay? The Bible says that, that Jesus said, if anyone causes any one of my little ones to stumble he'd be better off having a millstone tied around his neck and tossed into the sea than to stand before my father on judgment day. Listen, do not encourage someone to encourage you to fail in their walk with Jesus. Don't find somebody who says, yeah, you're okay, when your spirit says, no, come to me. We're gonna work through this. I know this is hard, right? We need to find people who are gonna encourage us in our faith and build our faith and encourage us to walk with Jesus, even through the difficult stuff, even through the times where you're sitting at the hospital and tears are pouring out and you have no idea where you're gonna go from here. Know that God has a plan and he sees a perspective so much bigger and he's gonna carry you through it. Discouraging people will rob our courage. If, if, we're around, if we're a discouraging person, if I'm speaking to a discouraging person right now, I'm speaking to myself because I've been a discouraging person. And I want to tell you something right now. The Bible says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. 
Remember what prophecy is, right? We just talked about it a minute ago, minute ago, right? One who strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Paul said, eagerly desire this. And I want to tell you, if you're somebody who, you know what, you, you have the answers, but it, your answers are, are heartfelt and genuine. You want, to, you want to encourage people, but what you discover is the thing that you says might, might, might squash faith. Ask Jesus for a gift of the prophetic. Paul says, eagerly desire it. And I want to tell you today, as a person who's walked through this, if you begin to ask Jesus now, Lord, will you give me a gift of the prophetic so that I can encourage, so that I can comfort? By the end of the year, you're, you'll be changed. You'll be sharing with people, and they will start saying to you, you're the most encouraging person I've talked to. And you'll think, what? No. Can't be. And you begin to realize that now that, that discouraging voice has been replaced with a true gift from the Holy Spirit that is encouraging people and helping walk with them into faith, into their challenges, successfully navigating through to the other side. All right, well, here we come to the real problem, and it's not giants. We talked a little bit about giants. That is, a, that is a, a can of worms we could open up and spend like three hours on, and it is really fun. We'll do it another time. But right now, we're going we're gonna to jump onto the real problem. The real problem, they said, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. They had a perspective problem. They failed to see the heavenly perspective. Up here, just a minute, I've got a, a slide that's about perspective. It's a, it's a picture we have that one? I thought this was just kind of interesting, right? Guy on the island thinks, I'm saved. Guy in the boat, oh man, here's land, I'm saved. Right? The heavenly perspective is clearly they both need to be saved. But they had a perspective problem. They failed to see the heavenly perspective. And it wasn't that they saw themselves as small it was that they saw God as small. It was that they saw God as small. See, when our faith is exercised, every mountain looks movable. When our faith is strong, every mountain looks movable. Every giant looks manageable. So how do we get the heavenly perspective? And I want to talk to you just a minute about the difference between, between a devotional life and Bible study, all right? I love to study the Word of God. I love to get into this thing, and I can spend hours reading through until all of a sudden, as I'm reading, a question will jump off the page. Boom, great big question. I got to find the answer to this. And so then I'll start researching. I'll pull out some books off the shelf. I'll get on the internet. I'll start finding answers to my question. And that question and those answers lead to 30 more. And I can, I can make notes for weeks and weeks on end that just go throughout the Bible and find some really amazing gold nuggets buried down in there. In fact, I can even convince myself that all that time that I spent studying the Word of God, now I'm more spiritual, right? But here's the thing. There's a difference between studying the Word of God and having a devotional life, having devotional time. See, there's something that happens when we, when we take the Word of God and we, and we read it, and we can study it and study it, and that's, that is awesome, and I encourage you to do that. You will find some amazing things. But there's going to come a time where you're going to cross something, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, hold on a minute. Seth, that's for you. 
And I have to pause long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to bury that down deep in here and shift a few degrees left, right, straight, what I need to do to line myself up with what the Word of God says about my life. And as I spend time in the presence of God, just in prayer and in meditating on His Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me and develop me, shape me, mold me, soften my heart, change my perspective, instill faith in me, that's the time where my faith begins to grow and the challenges look a whole lot smaller. That's the difference between having information and having transformation, right? God is not about giving us more information. We know that from the garden scene. He's about transforming us as we spend time in his presence. And he's calling you and he's inviting you into his presence every day. That still small voice saying, hey, come to me. Spend time with me today. Spend time in my presence. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time just being quiet. And it may be five minutes, maybe two hours, maybe half a day, maybe you take a retreat weekend. I don't, I don't know what, where you're at with, with your walk with Jesus, but he, he's constantly drawing us lovingly, quietly to choose him. And it's in that time that he's shaping and he's changing us. See, God had been, um, God had been training, training is not a good word, God had been leading the Israelites into a place of seeing the world differently. Caleb did, and Joshua did. The Bible says that Caleb had a different spirit about him. And Joshua, we know that when Moses would go into the tent of meetings, Joshua would follow him in. And then Moses would leave, and Joshua would stay in the presence of God. And so it's no surprise that when they come from this, this time of spying out the enemy, spying out this land, that they, that they come back and these two guys are like, we're ready to go do it. Let's go. They're, they're excited and they're passionate about it, but the rest of everybody else didn't seem to see from the same perspective. See, these are our leaders that within the last 13 months had gone from a, a group in slavery to being led by God through the wilderness where they saw the world leader military crushed, the water parted from the Red Sea where they could walk across on dry land. They were led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to guide them where they needed to go. They were fed by, by uh, manna in the wilderness when they, got, when they were like, man, manna, this isn't working. We need some meat. God brought quail. That went bad because they complained. Went real bad. You can read about that one. Um, but the thing is, God had been preparing them to see things differently, that no challenge that they face could he not lead them through. People seem not to see that their opinion of the world is also a confession of character. Ralph Emerson said that. It's in that devotion time, guys, where God is developing our character and it'll change how you see your giants. But the enemy of your soul is doing everything he can to define you and shape your view of you and your view of the heavenly perspective in ways other than faith and victory. He's trying to define you by your, your social standing. He whispers to you, you're not good enough. 
You're never going to amount. You're never going to be good as, as that guy over there. Maybe sexual identity. You weren't created in God's image. You don't fit in anywhere. You're a victim. You'll never have power. An addict. You'll always be on my leash. Old. Well, you're just old. <laughs> Disabled. You're too weak. Man, the enemy wants to lie to you every day that you are spending time away from the presence of God. You're spending more time with the opportunity for the enemy to lie to you and convince you his giants are a lot bigger than they really are. But Christ has seed you to, to, freed you to see differently. Listen to what the word of God says about, about you and about Christ and about your victory. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Who's the victory through? Jesus. Deuteronomy 20. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who's the strength from? Christ. Psalm 108, with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. In any of these passages, along with another 50 of them, I didn't want to spend the entire morning reading a bunch of them, guess who the victor is? You don't have to guess much, it's right there, right? It's Christ is the victor on your behalf, Christ was the victor on the behalf of the Israelites. Christ is the victor on our behalf. He's training you to see differently. The same way that he was training the Israelites to see differently. To see the heavenly perspective. Where he's training us to see differently so that we can act differently. He's assured your victory. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. How many of you know faithlessness is a deceitful desire? Apathy is a deceitful desire. Busyness is a deceitful desire. Following distractions is a deceitful desire. But to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, to be set apart, to be different, and to think different. We, at some point, as Christians, we have to learn to see the heavenly perspective and learn to put on Christ and to be different and to recognize that our lives are different. We are victors in Christ. I love what Eric said this morning, that you're not moving towards victory, you're standing in it, right? We are in victory right now for those who are in Christ. All right, we're going to pause for just a minute. Science moment brought to you by Crossroads Church. I'm going to take just, just about two minutes here. Interesting, interesting thing, an article I came across. So scientists for um, a bunch of years were trying to figure out what is the deal with the pterodactyl. They can't flap their wings the same way a bird can. They're not built to fly. They're built to glide. But they're so oddly shaped, they're kind of like a seal with wings. Right? They're, they, 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 they're awkward. And scientists could not figure out how these things could stay in the air. Because in our, in our atmosphere, they would just fall. 
They didn't have the wing span or, or, or width in order to, to, to glide the way that they should glide. So science is trying to figure this whole thing out. And then they, they started doing research. A whole other group was doing re- research on amber. You guys know what amber is, right? Amber is, is, is essentially fossilized tree sap, right? We all saw it on Jurassic Park, right? Amber always has oxygen trapped inside. And so they began doing research on the oxygen that was trapped inside amber, pre-flood amber, and they discovered that the oxygen content was 35 to 50% more concentrated in the atmosphere then than it is now. They were trying to figure out how is it that, that these ginormous animals, dinosaurs, could function the way that they had to have functioned because they said that when a neuron would fire in one of these giant brontosaurus's brains to tell its tail to move, it would take 45 seconds today for it to move. They couldn't figure this stuff out, but then they discovered that pre-flood, because of the concentration of oxygen in the atmosphere, giant things could thrive but not so after the flood. The atmosphere changed. So when we talk about God going before us and preparing our victories in advance, we can see, we, th- this is just my opinion, but when they went into the inn to spy out this land and they saw giants and said, we're terrified, they didn't realize that probably God had already gone before them and they weren't nearly as strong as they looked. Today, when we see ginormous people, they're in our world. They're weak. Bones are frail. They don't live as long. Right? Their their bodies don't function quite the same way because of the atmosphere. So here's the thing. These ginormous people, God had already gone through and weaken their enemies. And when we see the, the Israelites take on these giants 40 years later, there's, there's just little groups of them. They're not, they're not everywhere. They're easily defeated. In fact, they're more easily defeated than the other groups. And it could have been an absolute miraculous thing. But it could be God went ahead of them through time and weakened their enemies where they didn't even see it happening. And God does the same for you. God goes ahead of us. He goes ahead of us, and he defeats our enemies. Our giants aren't nearly as strong. Our battle is won because of Christ. Our battle is won because of the cross. He's gone before you, and he's given you favor. He's gone before you, and he's given you strength. He's given you authority. He's given you a voice. He's prepared a way for you where there doesn't seem to be one. So I want to give a new perspective this morning on, on a verse that I think it's overlooked. I want to talk about the heavenly perspective for just a minute, and we'll be done. How does God move your mountains? Mark 11, verse 22 says this, through 24, it says, Jesus answered and he said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he, whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and you'll have them. I know a lot of people that look right past this verse. There's been times I've looked right past it and thought, man, this is going to be like a metaphor or something, right? 
God does not answer all my prayers. And I have never seen a mountain thrown into the sea. If it had been done, it would be on YouTube. And I could just, there it is, my faith is bigger. Because there goes Mount Rainier. Right? And we look past this passage because if God, and very quietly within our own soul, we think, well, if God doesn't answer all my prayers, and this says that he will, and God hasn't moved a mountain that I've asked him to move, maybe my faith isn't quite as big as it should be. Or maybe, maybe God doesn't want to respond quite the way this says he's going to, but I'm going to believe that he wants to, but there's a disconnect. Right? And I don't believe Jesus is, is, is talking metaphorically about mountains being thrown into the sea. I believe he's saying something very profound and powerful for you today. I'm going to tell you what it is. I heard on the radio the other day a, a commercial that I thought was interesting, and it said, uh, come to, our, come to our, um, our conference because Jesus taught in parables so that the Word of God would be more easily understood. And we want to teach you how to teach in parables so that your messages could be more clear. Jesus said that he taught in parables so that they would not understand to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, right? That was in Matthew chapter 12. This account took place after Matthew 12. When Jesus was not speaking clearly, he was speaking figuratively on a lot of areas so that they wouldn't understand to fulfill prophecy. When we think of prophecy, we, we think of um, prediction fulfillment, right? Prediction fulfillment, prediction fulfillment. To the Jews, prophecy took on another, another twist. Prophecy was about uh, repetition, repetition, repetition. When you see it once and you see it again and you see it again, you, it begins to allude to things. Symbols are used all throughout Scripture prophetically. A few prophetic symbols throughout the Old Testament, mountains were consistently used as a symbol for a kingdom. And the sea was consistently used as a symbol for the world. That's why in Revelation, when we see the beast coming out of the sea, it doesn't mean he's a snorkeler. It means he's coming out of this world, right? The world system. So let's look at this passage again through a different lens. Jesus answered and he said to them, have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, in the literal translation it says, unto this mountain, Jesus is speaking of himself. What kingdom does Jesus represent? The kingdom of God, right? If anyone says unto this kingdom, the kingdom of God, be removed, where's the kingdom of God? Heaven. Be removed and cast into your world. See what's going on here? Jesus is saying the same thing here that he said when the disciples said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And he said, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Right? He is reaffirming to them that the kingdom of God is present in your circumstances. He's saying, if anyone calls and says, Lord, I need you, that his kingdom is available to come crashing down into your world, into your circumstances. Crashing down. I mean, the picture I get is like, you, you see like uh, 
dinosaur extinction pictures of like an asteroid coming to Earth, right? And it's like the size of the moon. And it's like, whoa, that's serious. Yeah, that is, that is the picture of when you say, Jesus, I need you. Give me the heavenly perspective on this because I am overwhelmed by my current circumstances and I need you. Heaven is ready to come crashing down into your world. So I'm going to ask you to imagine for just a minute your world. Picture your current circumstances, the things that you wrestle with, maybe your neighbors, the things, the influence that you have, the, the people around you who, who you just know something about their lives, your world, right? Everything that kind of touches you in one way or another. The pain, the heartbreak, the questions, all those things, all right? Now I want to ask you to picture a mirror image of that where it looks like God's best, where everything is the way that you would imagine it to be if you walked with Jesus every day and he touched everything around you. All right? Now you have an assignment. See both those pictures? What are the giants in the middle that are keeping that one from looking like this one? Those are the things that Jesus is saying, now you call down heaven on those. The Lord is waiting for us to call him and say, Lord, this doesn't quite look the way that I think your best would be. That doesn't mean being wealthy because the Bible declares our reliance should be on him. Right? It doesn't mean everything perfect and, and everything the way we picture should be in our own worldly eyes, but it's the way it should be from a heavenly perspective, that our reliance would be on him. Right? And so I want to encourage you today that heaven is waiting to come crashing down into your current circumstances. And just like Jesus says here, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and you'll have them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says that we're to give thanks constantly and to pray without ceasing. And so I want to tell you that this passage that we, we overlook sometimes and think, well, Jesus, man, I haven't seen any mountains moving around. I, I want you to know today that if we will commit ourselves to praise because we see from the heavenly perspective, that's when, when we praise God before the victory happens, we're declaring his lordship over our lives and his victory over our circumstances. And then from that place, we can pray differently. Right? And when we do, heaven comes down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and, and Lord God, we just thank you for your word. And Jesus, I want to pray over anyone here today, Lord Jesus. Every single one of us are going through different circumstances, have different things going on in our lives. And Heavenly Father, would you visit us right now, Lord Jesus? Lord, for those who are wrestling, who are struggling, whose hearts are broken because of change, Lord, supernaturally, would you deposit within us, Lord Jesus, a, a, an ability to see from the heavenly perspective? that you are available, that you love us, that you are ready to respond when we 
call. And Lord, for those who have given up today, Jesus, who have said, you know what, I, I just can't go any further. Lord, would you surround them today with your praise? Would you surround them supernaturally, Lord Jesus, with the voice of heaven that would deposit courage, that would come underneath them and carry them? You're not alone. So, Lord, as we, as we continue to move into worship, Lord Jesus, would you just miraculously move us to a place, Lord Jesus, of seeing differently. In Jesus' name. Eric, lead us.